we're starting a new series uh, today, and I was thinking about New Year's coming up in kind of a small, uh, brief series, and uh, so kind of thinking about the New Year stuff. Uh, Tom Landry, obviously the uh, great legendary coach of the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, I was a Green Bay Packer fan growing up, so Dallas Cowboys, that would be arch enemy, but as I've got to, you know, got older, and obviously he was 29 years uh, coaching the Dallas Cowboys. I got to have a great respect for the man, uh, not only as a believer, but then also as a coach. And he was uh, asked to speak one time at a prayer breakfast in Dallas. And if you think about it, uh, you're looking at this. Uh, this is the question he was asked, and how would you answer it? He was asked, how were you able to forge a team out of so many individuals? And you think about it today, all of them are individuals and they all are trying to make different things. He said he paused for a moment and he made this statement. My job is to get men who to do what they don't want to do in order to achieve what they've always wanted to achieve. And what is it they all want to achieve? The Super Bowl. But how many of them want to? to go through the work to get there, or give up I for we, and so on. But I think about that, isn't that really what we are to be doing as well? You know, you stop and think of it. The job is to get men to do what they don't want to do in order to achieve what they've always wanted to achieve. And I think that's important. I was watching um, a special, uh, just was turning channels, it was late, and kind of sitting there and had a special on Reba McIntyre, and uh, had it on, so I was looking, you know, watching a little bit about it. It was interesting going through it. She's been married to, I think, two or three times. And talked about when she was really starting to reach and get a lot of success. And her husband then says to her, "Well, now that you've got the success, why don't you just stop and let's just go back to Oklahoma, basically, and just live her life?" She says, "No, I, there's a lot more things I want to achieve." And that's what led to the divorce. So you think about it. How many times, what do we want to be achieving and what's in our way? But oftentimes, in that case, was it what's best? And it's not for me to, to make that to judgment, but I want to think about it. What, is it. what do we want to achieve? And what does God want us to achieve? And so I think it's important when you look at it, according to Scripture, God wants us to be Christ-like. And so I like to do a small series on Christ-likeness. What does it mean to be Christ-like? Uh, I think it's in, you know, that should be our goal not only this year, but any year, is to be Christ like. One of the greatest statements you can have is when somebody says, What? You know, that's how they got the name Christian, is it not? Using a derogatory term, but it was actually where they're acting like Christ, meaning they're acting like little, little Christ. What a, what a, how good a statement can you have? When you stop and think about it, one of the underhanded compliments that happened at work, and somebody a couple of times have said to me, oh, I didn't know you were you know, talking about a minister or doing whatever. I said, yeah, and they said, well, that explains a lot. Okay? In other words, in other words what they were saying, that explains why you're acting the way you do at work. And I think, you know, to me, and I took it as a compliment, why I'm not saying certain things, not doing certain things, because of the Christian I shouldn't be doing. This last week, I had somebody text me and talk about different stuff, and they'd known me for a long, long time. 
said you're acting a lot like your dad, you know, speaking in a positive term. Again, what is it that we want? What are we trying to achieve? So let's look at a prerequisite, or actually how it gets started. Look over in Romans chapter 8. We know the passage quite well. Let's think about it for a moment. We'll go from... If you want to know where God is taking you, any of you ever wonder where God's trying to take you? It'll also tell you the first step. But notice in verse 29, we know it quite well. It says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be firstborn among many brethren. Where is Christ wanting to take you? To be conformed to the image of his Son. That's his goal for you, but how many of us is that our goal for us? So we can either be working with the goal or working against what he's trying to do. And I think it's interesting when you look at it, if you look on, then he tells you how. This is what I mean by prerequisite in verse 30. He predestined these, he also called, and he called, he justified, and he justified, he also glorified. That shows you the steps. Call is a, a Greek word meaning summons and given salvation. You cannot become Christ-like unless you become a believer. And then he talks about the next part is sanctification, which he talks about in, in chapter 12 and so on. The sanctification of the believer. Actually, chapter 6 through chapter nine, 8 uh, is the Holy Spirit living within you. And then glorification is obviously when we no longer have a sin nature. And we get to heaven. It's also interesting, all three are in the past tense. How certain is it? It's not, you know, my glorification hasn't happened yet, but it is so certain he puts it in the past tense as if it already has. That's why Paul, you haven't got there yet. I haven't got there yet, but we will. But are we working with his plan or are we working against his plan? But the prerequisite, you have to start with salvation because you need the Holy Spirit in it. But notice then, the prerequisite, and again, a good question to ask, have you ever put your personal faith in Jesus Christ? It doesn't matter what church you go to. It doesn't matter how often you go to church. It is, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Otherwise, you're trying to be like Christ on your own, and you can do it for a little while, but you have to change from the inside out. That's what you get in Romans chapter 12. So you think about the prerequisite. But notice the partnership that you have in this passage. Notice the people you need or the things you need with you. Notice in verse 26 of 8. In the same way the Holy Spirit also helps our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. One partner we have is the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting, uh, Christ's desire and God's desire is to make me like Christ. How many times do you think it happens when I'm praying for one thing, but if I get it, it's not going to help me become more Christ-like? And the Holy Spirit is interceding and doing what? Nope. That's not going to be good for them. This is what they need. But how many of you are glad you have the Holy Spirit doing that? Any of you ever had something the Lord tell you no and down the road you saw why it was the right thing for it to be no? 
It could be a job. It could be a lot of other things. But notice one partner, prerequisite is coming to know Christ. The one partner we have is the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to help us become Christ-like. We need the fruit of the Spirit and so on. Notice the, another one we have as a partner. You notice in verse 28, we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God are called according to His purpose. Circumstances. Circumstances. God uses circumstances to get us where we need. And that's why some of the time circumstances can get us to such a place I can't do it. That's where God wants you. Because then if I can't do it on my own, then I have to turn to Him. But a lot of times, He has to get us to that place to do it. And then also, notice it said who love Him, so it, it's a personal choice we have too. So when we're wanting to become Christ-like, it starts with salvation. I need the Holy Spirit. And I also, God uses circumstances to get us there. But He also has a personal choice. I have to be working with Him in order for that to take place. I want us to do, a, you know, you stop and think about it. Let's look at this personal choice part of it and the partnership we have. Look over at 1 Timothy chapter 4. You have a prerequisite in this partnership, but notice this personal choice that you have. Listen to verse 6. I know it isn't what you're going to want to hear, or what we want to hear, but let's look at it. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 6. If you remember, Paul was writing to Timothy, who he left at Ephesus in between his first and second imprisonment. He said, in pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ, constantly nourished on the words of faith and of sound doctrine which you have been following, but have nothing to do with worldly fables, fit only for old women. Notice the first, you know, this personal choice. Notice your diet. Notice it says, constantly nourished on the word of faith and sound doctrine. It's a personal choice, but if you want to do certain things or get into certain places, you have to have a right diet. I saw a person, Mark, uh, at work, hadn't seen him in several weeks, and uh, he lost a lot of weight. So I asked him, well, he was having an ankle surgery, ankle replacement, and he thought he ought to lose some weight. So he got on this diet, and sure enough, the diet I've talked to, you know, some other people have known been on it, lost 20, 30 pounds. And uh, anyway, I asked him, about, well, I'm now where I need to be, and now it's, uh, I just have to maintain. It's lean and green, that was what their statement is. Well, that kind of tells you what kind of, how of us, do we need to be on a diet, but we don't like what's on the diet? Because everything we like isn't on it. But if I want to get somewhere, that's what it's going to take. I was talking with somebody else, and they happened to went out to eat with them, and they wanted to lose weight, and they drank four soda pops at the, at the dinner table, and they ate all this other stuff. What do you think is going to happen? Are they going to lose? No, because that's not the right diet. But that's true for all of us. All of us are looking. So, but notice the diet that he says you need faith. Where are you going to help develop your faith? Romans 10, 17 tells you what faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Where are you going to get sound doctrine? 
in the Word of God. So if you're wanting to become Christ-like, you're going to have to be in the Word of God on a regular basis. Any diet that we are on, if we're only on the diet once a week, how much weight are we going to lose? But if we also only eat once a week, how much strength are we going to have? So how many Christians are very malnourished? Because they're on the wrong thing. So notice that it's personal choice, but one is that of a diet. You can also, as I said, ask yourself, what do I eat and how often do I eat? But notice the second thing is the word discipline. Notice the second half of 7 and 8. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of a little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The word there for discipline, what word do you think that is? We get an English word, almost direct translation. What do you think it is? Disciple. Nope, not, not, on, not on discipline. I'll, I'll give you the direct English, and you tell me what word we get. G-Y-M-N-A-Z-O. Gymnasium. Gymnastics. Discipline. Gymnastics. Does it take a little exercise? So notice then, you're going to have to have the right diet, but you're also going to have to have discipline. But notice if it's discipline, I mean gymnastics, can anybody else do it for you? If you could pay somebody to do gymnastics for you to lose weight, how much money do you think people would pay? And how much of them but you laugh about it, but how many people are sending and spending good money to get a pill because they don't want to do anything, but they want to lose weight? So notice we laugh about it, but if I want to become godly, I have to have the right diet, but I have to have personal discipline. It is only I can do it. Only way. But also, if you're talking about gymnastics, it's repetition. It's a pattern. It's not once a week. It is constant repetition. Ruthie was in gymnastics. I had Gina and I had a student who uh, got all the way up to the final uh, deal of being in the Olympics in gymnastics. Phenomenal gymnast. But that was amazing, the training that young lady went through. Before school started, every morning, she was at the gym, and she was there several hours every afternoon at the gym, every single day. And then she got her homework done, and she was an A.B. student all the way through. Tremendous, tremendous discipline. If you and I want to succeed to become Christ-like, we have to have the right diet, and we have to be disciplined, continually disciplined all the way through. And I think what happens is that's why part of it, but is that really what I want? And I think it's interesting to ask, you know, are we personally, routinely working out to become like Christ? You know? Are we eating what we ought to be eating? We're going to be, you know, isn't that what we say all the time? You hear it said all the time? You are what you eat. Okay? Is that not true in the Christian life also? You also are alike to people with which you are around. That's also what Scripture tells you in Psalms 1. It tells you First 1 Corinthians 15. What we eat and who we're with is what's going to determine the outcome. So often. So if you're part of Landry's team, are you going to be 
doing what the coach is telling you to do? And how many of you think you ought, you know, I had a student one time, I'll never forget this, as long as I live, came up to me, and he made this statement. He said, I'm going to become the, remember we're at Eastwood, where, you know, Bob was at, and, you know, we were seven and four, six and five, you know, whatever, eight, you know, three, you know, we were all right. And he said, I'm going to be, uh, come the alignment for the Oklahoma Centers or the Texas Longhorns. Now you think about that. Forty years ago, how good teams did both of those teams have? Okay, now you are, you're, you know, you're less than 200 pounds. You're not quite six foot tall. And you're going to be a lineman for one of those two teams? There's no way. There's no way. Nor are you disciplined. And so I think it's important for us to look at it. In fact, the one and only time, I don't know why I did it, probably shouldn't have. But I said that I told him, I said, okay, I want you to go into the bathroom. I want you to take off your shirt and look in the mirror and tell me, does that look like a lineman for the, for the Oklahoma Sooners? He came back and he said, no, it doesn't. Okay, we need to be realistic, but at the same time, if that's what we want, then there's a lot of work that you're going to have to do, diet and discipline, to get where you want to be. So I think it's important for it. Notice also, I think it's interesting, not only the prerequisite, needing to be a believer, and then working as a partner with Christ, with the Holy Spirit, with the Word of God, but notice also, what about your pursuit? Look over in Philippians chapter 1, Paul writes this when he's in prison. Notice the pursuit. Verse 20, chapter 1, and then also 21. Paul writes, According to my earnest expectation and hope that I should not be put to shame in anything, that with all boldness Christ shall even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether alive or dead, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What's Paul's pursuit? To glorify Christ. To glorify Christ, to be like Christ. But notice the possibility. Could he be embarrassed? Have any of you ever done something and you were embarrassed because you knew you didn't represent Christ the way you should have? Or the Holy Spirit's telling you, don't say that, don't do that, and in your head, and what do you do? It's interesting, that was his goal. His pursuit. I want to be like Christ. Alive or dead, anything I do, I want to be like Him. It's a pursuit. Reba in the deal said she wanted to be the greatest and she had a pursuit. And she's gone out and done many, many great things. You know, Whether it's not only singing, but acting and all kinds of stuff. But what's your pursuit? Do you want to be like Christ? If it is, you know, you know, we pursue a lot of things. How many of you uh, remember wanting to get your first car? First thing, you did a lot of things to pursue it. So I want you to think about what am I pursuing, but then also, what about the prize? You think about it, you're pursuing it, but notice what are you pursuing? Look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we know that while Paul was at the Iconium Games, which was pre-Olympics, it happened every two years. 
he's in Corinth and he's watching the athletes train. And notice what he tells you. It's interesting in verse 24 and 27. And he makes the statement, Do not run those who run a race, but only one receives a prize. Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercise self-control in all things. They do this to receive a perishable wreath, but you an imperishable wreath. Then he goes on talking about the boxing. You don't just buffet the air or you enslave your body to... So you won't be disqualified. But when you think about the prize, what prize you you wanted to be Christ-like, that's an imperishable thing. How many of us are pursuing things that are just perishable? I'll give you an example. You remember the movie that was out, The Natural, with Roy Hobbs? You remember that the uh, Robert Redford was Roy Hobbs? And you remember he gets shot and it basically costs him his career. And he makes the statement, talking about Roy Hobbs does, I could have been the greatest baseball player of all time. And the lady says, and then what? And it really catches him. What do you mean, then what? Okay, but you look at it today, how many of us all the way through? Johnny United's greatest quarterback, but each generation keeps saying what? The greatest of all time. That's where you get the word goat from. Each one has the greatest of all time. How many people talk about Johnny Unanis today? <clears throat> all the different ones. There was great, great people of other eras. But each time, each era has a new one. It's part of some marketing tool, so you watch TV or do whatever. But I want to think about it. What prize are we pursuing? Why are so many people presidents? Why do they all want to, after they retire, write a book and want a library? Why are they wanting They wanted to be remembered for something. What prize are you wanting to be remembered for? You know, Paul said, I want to be remembered as living for Christ. And I'm going to do whatever it takes. So I'm not only telling you what to do, I'm doing the same so I don't be disqualified. So you think about it, what prize are you pursuing? If you remember in Hebrews 11, remember Moses, it said he gave up the treasures of Egypt because he's looking for the eternal reward in verse 25 and 26 of chapter 11. Was there any type of treasure he gave up in Egypt? Mm-hmm. Look at King Tut's stuff. That's quite a treasure. How many of you are glad that treasure's not been offered to you or I? How many of us might have succumbed to something like that? But Moses denied it. How many of you would love to lead two million grumpy people? I mean, seriously. They can't even go three days after the great miracle and they're already grappling again. Three days later, they're grappling again. It's interesting. So you think about that prize that you have. That's what Paul has in Philippians 3. If you remember in verse you go over, uh, Philippians 3, uh, you have, you remember what he says that he's, everything he's accomplished, when you think about it in Philippians 3, it's amazing. Remember he was trained under Gamaliel? Who is Gamaliel? Anybody remember? Okay, basically he's one of the greatest teachers of that era with the uh, Pharisees and he was one of the greatest teachers of that time. If you went through all that and you have all this great, he says, all the things I've accomplished in chapter 3, I count but rubbish, trash. Now how many of you like to say, okay, I've just earned my doctorate degree, 
bullying come, you know, under the prestigious school or whatever, and it, that's just rubbish to me to live like Christ and be like Christ. That, that, that's important. But this other stuff isn't. If you read then from verse 7 down to verse 11 in chapter 3, it keeps saying that I may know Him. My greatest desire is to have personal fellowship with Jesus Christ and I will know Him in imminent relationship with Him. You stop and think about that. Is that really what we want? Do I really want to have that personal, intimate relationship with Him? And so that was Paul's desire. So I think about what prize are you pursuing? Like Roy Hobbs, I want to be the greatest of all time. Or do I want to be more like Christ? That's one reason why you look at some of the great uh, uh, missionaries and Christians of old, just some of the stuff. You look at the one that died, you remember in Africa, never made it, when he said, I have no regrets. You go to Cairo, he's in the cemetery, off the beaten path. He left, he was a millionaire's son, he had a millionaire, he had all the things set up for him. His father said, if you give this up, you lose it all. You will be cut out of the inheritance. He said, I have no regrets living for Christ. But what about the pattern? How many of you want to know how to do it? If you remember the pattern, in Mark chapter 3, why did Jesus choose the disciples? It says he chose them for two reasons. That they will be with him in verse 14, and he'll send them out. Why did Jesus want the disciples with him? How much of his teaching came along when everyday things came up? How do you handle something? <clears throat> Why so many questions they asked him came as a result of everyday activities. Whether it be with children and don't turn them away. Whether it be of the Samaritan, all the daily activities. Jesus wanted them with him so he could teach them and they could see him in action. Pattern is so important. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 40, what does it say? A pupil is not above his teacher, but when he is fully trained, he'll be as what? His teacher. If I want to be Christ-like, who do I have to study? I have to study Christ. In order to study Christ, where am I going to have to look? That's why in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1, it says, Be imitators of God. What word do you think it is, a direct translation for imitator? What English word do you think we come up with? Starts with an M. Mimic. The exact translation. Mimic. You want to be like Christ? Are you mimicking Christ? That's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1, what does Paul say? Imitate me, mimic me as I mimic Christ. How many of us are getting around people with qualities that are like Christ and we watch and we see how they do it, we ask how they do it, and we then will do that in our life. And it's going to obviously come down to the knowledge of the Word of God, applying the Word of God, and then also having the Holy Spirit to control us. But what pattern do I think we have? It's interesting when you look at it, these different ones. And you look in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 12, it also says, when it talks about to mimic, same Greek word again, it shows past examples of Scripture. How of us are looking at what others in the past have done, and we then want to do it in our life. 
And so we look at it, there will become time. So I think about the ones. What about the prerequisite to be Christ-like? He starts off with what? Salvation. You have to have Christ. Then you also have to have partners. You need the Holy Spirit in your life. Working, obviously, if you're a believer, you do. You have circumstances in your life that God's using to bring you to different things. But when you get out of the will of God, you're like Jonah. Who caused the storm to come? Yeah, you think about it. Then also, it's a also a personal choice. Do I want to be like Him? Allow Him to take place. You then you think about it. Do I have a pursuit? I have to pursue it. Just like with the student we had. I mean, that, that young lady was incredibly disciplined. Because she had a prize, she wanted to make the Olympic team. She worked incredibly hard to get to as close as she could. But what about us? Do we really want to work that hard to do? And it is an imperishable prize we want, not just something for here and now. And having worked for some of the elderly people, so many of them have gone and have passed on. It was amazing. All their possessions. You could go there and all of a sudden one week you'd come and you, what do you think took place? Auction. Time and time and time again. All their possessions, everything in the house. And you saw the quality of it. And you knew what they probably had to pay for. And then you saw what so much of it went for. And it was pretty sad people not understanding the value of things, of how we disappeared. And somebody else got all the things they worked for. What are we working for? What prize do we want? A perishable prize or an imperishable prize? But if we want to be Christ-like, we have to look at the pattern and follow His pattern. And if we want to know how to do things, follow people. If you want to become a ball player, do you want to go with somebody that plays ball? Or do you want to read about it in a movie? Or see about it? And I think you can look at videos and different things. It's a well of a difference. How well is it going to work, Charlie, if I just watch a video or if I go out and try to hit a golf ball? It'll work. You can do it. <laughs> it would definitely help if I had some knowledge before I looked at the video. And I think it's important to really recognize how many times do we want the instant? We are in a society of instant everything. We want instant everything. But Christ's likeness is not instant. It's a lifetime.